0: Duncan Holder is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts. And because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Say you want to go to the National Championship game at the Superdome in January. Well, you know that ticket's going to be a huge Demand by fans all across the nation. Use Game Time. It'll solve all your problems. This Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dad who that stuff who that you know that's really kind of a, a fan you know that's that's our, our our champ
1: duncan holder podcast back at you larry holder jeff duncan here on the athletics podcast network of course uh, you can listen to our monday pods in two different ways. It's the uh, the freebie of the week. So you can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So rate, review, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Or of course, if you are listening to us through The Athletic, we appreciate your business. And uh, if you want to join The Athletic, I would highly recommend at com slash Duncan Holder. Of course, you can get 40% off of your first year subscription and you can listen to our podcast, everyone else's podcast, uh, read all of our great coverage of all things sports throughout this country and the world. And Jeff, really the uh, the center of the Saints world was trying to bounce back from that pitiful loss against the Falcons. And I'd say the Saints did enough good things. I'll put it in terms of Drew Brees. The Saints did en- enough good things to make themselves feel good as the Saints beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 34-17. Of course, we'll talk LSU Ole Miss. We'll touch on uh, Tulane losing at Temple. But Jeff, we knew that the Saints, this group in particular, would be salty after really just coming out flat in the dome last week. And uh, I think we saw some really good signs on both sides of the football for the Saints. And so it's almost like they kind of put it all back together with a little warts here and there, but they put it all back together enough to get really what you when you look at it at, the, at the, by the end of the season uh, it will be end up being a good win at Tampa where it's been troublesome at times for the Saints uh, at Tampa
0: yeah you were there and um the weather looks spectacular we've covered so many games down there in torrential downpours uh, cold weather actually has been a been a part of past games down there and this one was kind of different good weather and I thought the Saints um uh, just took care of business, Larry. I thought they had good game plans on both sides of the ball, which wasn't the case against the Falcons. I think the Saints coaching staff would tell you that. Uh, they responded. And uh, I, I liked what I heard from Drew Brees afterwards. Uh, just as we shouldn't read too much in to the Saints' performance against the Falcons and not panic, I'm not ready to throw a carnival over what they did yesterday because the Bucs are just so bad. Uh, I thought the Saints took care of business, but there are a lot of warts, as you said, a lot of things that they've got to get cleaned up. The little things that showed up in the loss to the Falcons also showed up in this win against the Bucs, and they've got to get those cleaned up if they want to make a deep playoff run because when they play the really good teams in the NFC, they're not going to get away with it the way they did against the Bucs.
1: No, and I agree with Drew's sentiment and... Uh, Like I wasn't totally surprised when, after the game, he really started pinpointing alignment and, of course, penalties and and that sort of thing and wanted to maybe downplay some of the good things uh, that the Saints did. Look, they took care of the football, got four takeaways, turned one into a score right after uh, an interception. Marcus Williams himself turned an interception into a score with the pick six. But I do think, though, that the Saints don't want to let themselves get back into, okay, now we're back to where we should be with the the way the score turns out and fear another clunker. I mean, because, Jeff, if you look back at all those seasons uh, that we've covered when they've had the clunker in their good seasons, it's gone full speed ahead almost every time. And... Uh, you know, I think the Saints, they don't they don't want this team whos really who's been able to last couple of years to rebound from these clunkers. They don't want to get a sense of, I, I guess, complacency. I, I think maybe that might be one thing. And so I think that was Sean Payton's message to the team through the media after the game and Drew Brees' message to the team through the media after the game.
0: Yeah. And look, games still, for all the X and O's wizardry that Sean Payton is, is known for. Um, games are still won and lost in the trenches, and the Saints dominated Sunday against Tampa Bay. The offensive line responded, even without Andres Pete, uh, Nick Easton getting his first start. Uh, they shut out the Tampa Bay defense. No sacks. I think they had three quarterback hits. They ran for 109 yards. Uh, there were a couple of runs I pointed out in my deep dive where Alvin Kamara wasn't even being touched, so he was five yards downfield. And then defensively, They played conservatively on the back end. A lot of cover two, a lot of two-man coverage. They weren't going to let the ball get over their heads. It only happened once when Chauncey Gardner-Johnson got beat uh, for that long play, 48-yarder. Otherwise, they forced Tampa Bay to put together multiple play drives and execute, and they weren't going to allow them to get anything easy. And sure enough, Jameis Winston does what he does. He throws the ball into coverage. Makes a lot of Takes a lot of gambles and risks, and the Saints were able to capitalize on it. And it only works if their defensive line is able to pressure Winston with just a four-man front. They threw some blitzes at him a few times, but for the most part, they were able to get pressure on Winston. And when he gets pressured, we see what happens. Yeah,
1: Jeff, uh, we talk about the defense a lot, uh, how well they've played this year, and I feel like uh, it's kind of remarkable to say that defense has been more the calling card for the Saints than the offense just because I feel like defensively they've been more consistent so let's kind of spin this conversation uh, as we dive into this game to the offensive side of the ball and I know there was frustration from Drew Brees I'm sure with Sean Payton how their first two drives they go all the way down the field and they end up in field goals but they do finally put together a touchdown drive at the very end of the first quarter and, look, they scored 20 points in the first half, and I, I'm sure they felt like they could have put up more, but they moved the football a lot more consistently. And, and, and Jeff, we you mentioned uh, them running the football, and Tampa was known for being able to stop the run and not stop the pass. And I almost kind of applaud the Saints in that, look, we're going to run it at you and see if you can actually stop us. Because, Jeff, how many times in the past have we seen the Saints – go up against a good run defense and just the the game plan is just not run the ball. And I think uh, it showed that Camaro was healthy and they felt confident in, in their offensive line, even without Andres Pete, Nick Easton filled in. And I thought he played uh, better than I thought. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Heck, we weren't even sure. We assumed he wouldn't even be the starter and he was. And I think that's, uh, uh, look, that's probably bodes well going forward because we know Pete's going to miss some time. But I like that the Saints said, all right, we're going to try to attack your strength. And uh, especially in the first half, they were very successful doing so.
0: Yeah, it looked like they wanted to get Kamara going early. He didn't have much of an impact against the Falcons. And I think he touched it eight times in the first 12 or 13 plays. I know he had 20 touches in the game's first 20 minutes. So they want to get him going. They've got to get him going. And they've got to get the running game going a little bit. I mean, they're ranked 17th in the league in rushing – Uh, They played some really good run defenses so far, Chicago and Tampa, as you noted. Uh, I think that'll improve as the season goes on. Uh, But I think more than anything, Larry, it was just a challenge to the offensive line after the way they played against Atlanta. They got beat in the trenches. I think uh, Dan Rauscher and uh, Roshar and uh, Sean Payton probably challenged that group and said, uh, you know, we're going to put it on your shoulders in this game. And I think they responded.
1: And you mentioned the challenge of the offensive line, and look, that was an abnormal performance against the Falcons. I mean, I think that was possibly the most eye-popping aspect of that game, how bad the offensive line played. And I could Look, I know Teron Armstead was sick, and Sean Payne didn't want to use that as an excuse. Andres Pete was getting beat before he got uh, his broken arm. Uh, Will Clapp came in and, and struggled. And so, uh, you know, but the fact that they were able to run the football and then protect Drew Brees. Just remember uh, but the game before this, we were talking about uh, Shaq Barrett. He was coming into that game with like nine sacks. And then uh, when Teddy was quarterback, they protected Teddy great, and I feel like in this game, they did a really good job of doing that. Breeze was not sacked, and you look at the way that they were able to stave off both Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul and Ndamukong Sue. and so it, it's something that I think from last week to this week, you wanted to see how that offensive line would respond, and they responded well.
0: Yeah, I mean, Breeze was hit a couple times early, but after that, I thought they um, kept it really clean. And I just thought the game plan was really good. They attacked the secondary of the Bucks, used a lot of, like, bunch formations, crossing patterns, rub routes, things to take advantage of the inexperience of Tampa Bay on the back end. And to do that, you've got to give Breeze time, and the offensive line did that. Uh, he had plenty of time to survey the field, let his receivers pop open, and uh, this was, a, I thought, a much more dominant performance than the score indicated. Uh, as you said, Larry, uh, they had a couple of penalties. I mean, the, the early sack that Taysom Hill uh, gave up derailed the opening drive. And that was a play. It looked like they had a kind of a trick play called. And uh, a couple of things happened that kind of blew it up. It was just kind of unfortunate. He was going to make a pass. And a guy got caught in the line of scrimmage and got knocked down. And he just ate the ball. Um, I'm not sure that was the right time to call that play, but those things happen in a given game. He probably needs to get rid of the ball. And then they had a, a holding call on Jared Cook that I watched the replay this morning, and, I mean, that was a ticky-tack call. They could they called holding on every play in that game. They were, both offensive lines were holding all game, and they hardly called anything like that. But out in space, for whatever reason, they were calling those holds. Maybe it's different officials making those calls. Than the guys that normally call the interior line play because the interior line play was a free-for-all <laughs> on both sides of the ball and they weren't calling anything so uh, I thought I thought those were both calls that uh, they could have gone without and kind of unfortunate for Jared Cook because uh, I thought he played a good game overall yeah
1: he got popped twice for offensive yeah. holding ne- within the five-yard line uh, one negating a touchdown at least the second one uh, Ted Ginn was able to catch a touchdown to kind of uh, overcome that and, and get the, the Saints uh, well ahead of the Bucks. But, yeah, I, I think the touchdown of Jared Cook, I think you saw uh, the reaction after the touchdown, how he went up big time, jump ball, gets it, and then comes down hard, and everyone went over and congratulated him. And that doesn't happen on every single touchdown. I right. think that's part of, hey, Jared, we're getting you going. We like what you saw. And, look, he had a big catch earlier in the game, too, so, you kind of started feeling maybe he had a little bit of mojo. And so, that's more the player that you and me thought would be there throughout much of the season, of course. Struggled early, hampered by the injury. But I do feel like, even just talking with him, that he's a little more comfortable in his skin. And I think going forward, we know the Saints are going to have to use him big time uh, because. Even though we assume someone's going to dispend Michael Thomas, it doesn't. It didn't happen in this game. But at some point, I feel like, and we say this every week, teams are going to have to try to eliminate Mike Thomas. And even though they don't, they're still going to need Cook going forward.
0: Well, I thought uh, the play he made on the opening drive, I think it was a 31-yard catch and run, just showed his ability, Larry. I mean, he he's lined up man-to-man on Mark Edwards. That was a, a, the safety who... Ended up as the nickelback in this game because of injuries. He's a rookie, and the Saints went after Mark Edwards a lot in this game. And uh, he beats him with an inside move in man-to-man coverage. He's a six-five tight end. He's beating a safety like a drum for a big gain. Those are the kind of uh, – that's the skill set that the Saints saw when they signed Jared Cook. And then for him to be able to go up, like he said, make that touchdown catch a great – Decision by Drew Brees to throw that ball up. He had a five eleven safety on a six five Jared Cook. Uh, that's just Drew Brees at his best, uh, saying, "You know what? I'm going to put this ball up, and either my guy's going to make a play on it, or no one's going to make a play on it." And we saw Cook make a spectacular catch. Yeah, you're right. He's got to get going. It's pretty clear to me at this point, the Saints aren't going to get much from anybody else at the receiver position. Uh, it's going to have to be Cook and Kamara to to kind of balance out that offense.
1: And I talked with Ted again after the game, and uh, he basically admitted he was the check down on that play. It didn't seem like when he caught the touchdown, wasn't necessarily going to be a play design for him. And yeah, I think we know what we have at this point. It's not like someone is going to completely emerge, say like a Chris Godwin to a Mike Evans, you know, something like that. It's just going to be what it is. And the Saints are going to have to game plan around that. And so actually, Jeff, One of the more kind of low-key issues that maybe they're going to run into the next couple of weeks uh, is the injury to Josh Hill. He left with a concussion. And uh, look, just from watching film, as you do and I do all the time, uh, you don't hear Josh Hill's name a ton in production. But if you look at the snap counts, he is one of the most heavily used offensive pieces within the formations. And Jeff, the, the aspect where... Sean Payton at one point wasn't even standing on the sideline. He's sitting on the bench with Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, and they're trying to hash out what plays they can use and which ones they can't without Josh Hill. Uh, I've, I've never seen Sean Payton. The last time I saw him coaching from a bench is when he got his leg broken in Tampa in 2011. I mean, that's it. Remind? I, I was thinking, I was like, is he sick? Did he get hit? Like, I was thinking that, but the fact that he had to go through that. I think that's something we're going to have to watch going forward for sure.
0: Yeah, great point. Uh, you know, fans don't appreciate Josh Hill as much as they probably should because he's not a spectacular player. He doesn't make a lot of flashy plays. But everyone in that locker room respects him, and I know the coaching staff does. He's a very versatile chess piece for them. He's a guy that can block. He can catch. He can play the F position or the H back position. So he's uh, the the flexibility he gives their offense when Sean Payton called him the front door, what he means is a lot of things start and stop with that position in their offense. And I think what it's probably going to do, Larry, I mean, obviously Dan Arnold might have to have to be activated now, but I also think a guy like Zach Line, he's also flexible and versatile like that. And a lot of times the Saints can use their fullback and their tight end as interchangeable parts. And I think we'll probably see a bigger role for Zach Lyon. He's another guy that I think the staff trusts and respects a lot and doesn't get a lot of fanfare, uh, similarly to Josh Hill. But the bigger concern, Larry, is I mean, Josh Hill's had numerous concussions in his career, and I watched that play again. It wasn't the most violent play at all. He must have just got hit at just the right uh, angle. Uh, But it's a concern anytime you leave with a concussion, and he's had multiple ones in his career.
1: Yeah, I I would assume he's going to be out this week. And yet we don't know how these things heal because everyone is different. And like you said, Jeff, he has definitely sustained uh, a few concussions in his career. So we're going to have to monitor that and see uh, where the Saints can go. And if that changes their game plan a little bit as uh, Carolina will be coming to town uh, next Sunday. And Jeff, let's spin it back to the defense. And I think Sean Payton was right. It started with the pressure up front. And you mentioned that earlier that they were able to get Jameis Winston uncomfortable. Only two sacks, uh, one and a half by Cam Jordan. And, of course, you knowing Cam Jordan, he was complaining that Von Bell doesn't need a half sack. What good does it do him? He he wants it all. But uh, good pressure, I think, overall made Jameis uncomfortable. That's what you do. And then he makes mistakes. And, Jeff, just being able to be opportunistic. We've seen a lot of interceptions either be negated by a penalty or just not happen and I think overall even though it's Jameis Winston the fact that you picked him off four times and one for a score and one led to another score I think that may just be that next thing to get that mojo going and oh by the way they play uh, Kyle Allen uh, next week who also threw four picks uh, in their loss on Sunday to the Falcons so maybe they could get this thing going where uh, they get more opportunistic. And that would kind of be a role reversal for some of these good teams where they take the ball away early and it fades later in the year on defense. Maybe it fade, it started slow and maybe it'll catch up as the season goes.
0: Yeah, I thought they were uh, – every time they had a chance to make a pick, they did. You're right, and that hasn't been the case always. Uh, I loved the interception by DeMario Davis because it rewarded him for running to the football, and we hear that from the coaches all the time. You know, populate the ball. Good things will happen. If he's standing watching that play, the ball goes to the ground. It's an incompletion. So he gets rewarded for his hustle. And then some of the other ones were just kind of crazy plays. I mean, I thought Kiko Alonzo had his best game as a Saint. Uh, he ends up getting an assist on the interception that Bon Bell got, kind of a tip drill ball that Alonzo's deep downfield makes a play. Uh, I thought he played really well. He led the team in tackles. He was in the backfield on a couple of blitzes. Uh, He actually flushed Winston into one of those sacks uh, by uh, Cam Jordan. And, um, you know, P.J. Williams made a very nice play on the ball in the end zone, you know, kind of late in the game. And then the, the one that Marcus Williams picked and ran back was just, I don't even know what Winston was doing on that. I don't know if he got hit. Uh, but uh, credit to Williams for taking it taking it to the house.
1: And you look at Kiko Alonso, for example, and you look at the snap counts. And this is the first week, and it was by a pretty significant margin that he played more snaps than AJ Klein. Of course, Demario Davis is on the field all the time, so I'm wondering if this is a one week thing or if the Saints are starting to trend more to Kiko Alonso with when they traded for him. I think that was almost kind of a siren, you know, light bulb maybe moment that Klein might see a dip in snaps. We saw it yesterday. Alonzo played well, and also Jeff. If you look at the snap counts from yesterday, uh, uh, Trey Hendrickson played far more snaps than Marcus Davenport, and it's not a. It's and that's not a scenario of uh, because if you look at snap counts again, Malcolm Brown probably played the fewest snaps he's played all season, but that's because Tampa didn't run the ball, so they didn't play
0: him. Right, yeah, that was a season low for him. Right,
1: for for Malcolm Brown? Yeah. Yeah, all right, it had to be because Malcolm Brown has been in there and and been a solid piece, but I'm curious to see going forward, again, if these are just one-game blips or if the Saints are starting to trend in some different directions uh, and uh, maybe see a little bit more Hendrickson and maybe see more Alonzo within the lineup.
0: Yeah, great, great observation. Because I think this is about the time of year where we start to see these kind of tweaks in playing time. Uh, we we saw it. Remember last year about this time, all of a sudden, Kurt Coleman started seeing his snap counts diminish every week, and about about to zero,
1: was, <laughs> yeah, he was <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't was even zero. playing.
0: But it was about this time, and I think that's about right. You know, you've got a body of work now of ten games. Uh, you know, Marcus Davenport. He he consistently gets in the backfield, but he he struggles to finish the play the way we see Cam Jordan do it. And I think it's just cla- uh, you know typical of a young, developing defensive line uh, defensive lineman. It's just going to take him a while to come around, but he's got the physical tools. Now can he put it all together and continue to add the strength without losing the explosiveness that he has? And I thought Cam Jordan dominated. We we always hear Cam Jordan. Talk about wanting to play the Bucks. He loves going against Donovan Smith. I mean, he, he routinely beats him. And he was beating him yesterday almost every snap. And Smith was holding him and getting away with it. And they weren't calling it. And Jordan never complained. He just kept coming. Uh, I thought he played a great game as well. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I could see that happening with Alonzo and A.J. Klein because we see him sometimes in coverage uh, be a step behind or an alignment error, and uh, maybe Dennis Allen, and then we're trying to see what they can get out of Alonzo in that same role.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned it—the the tip drill interception. Alonzo, I don't think he's known for being a cover guy, but he—it was almost like Jameis was throwing the ball to Alonzo because Alonzo right. was in a better spot in coverage. Read it and shielded the defend, uh, shielded the, the receiver. And it bounced, and, and Von Bell picked up. So yeah, like, like you said, I think this is time we see some tweaks. Also, just kind of, again, uh, going through some snap counts. Look, yesterday, Patrick Robinson played more than 50% of the snaps. And uh, look, you got to give the secondary credit. We thought they were in trouble without Marshawn Lattimore. And I think P.J. Williams did a great job on Mike Evans. They were able to slow down Chris Godwin as well. And even though Eli Apple uh, didn't get a pick, I feel like he broke up at least three passes, and Jeff, he's someone who uh, we pointed out you kind of needed to maybe lean on a little bit more, uh, and come to find out you could lean on PJ and Eli in that game and, and, and both played well.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. I thought they had a really good game plan, and uh, they executed it very well. They never really, other than the one big ball to Scotty Miller, they, they really didn't allow any hiccups. I didn't think they tackled well on the Chris Godwin touchdown. He got loose over the middle of the field and it ran through their secondary. But otherwise, and, and both those guys, Evans and Godwin, are talented receivers, so they're going to make their plays. But uh, Evans had one catch for six yards in the first half. And by halftime, this game was pretty much over. And Evans was frustrated afterward. And uh, you can just tell uh, there's a lot going on in Tampa, right? I mean – O.J. Howard drops that ball early on, leads to an interception, and he hardly plays the rest of the game. Greg Allman of, our, of our, the Athletic, who covers the Bucks for us, basically said he was effectively benched. So Bruce Arians is trying to send a message. He's trying to change the culture down there. He benches a former first-rounder, O.J. Howard. He cuts Vernon Hargraves a week before for not hustling on a play, another former first rounder so this is a good example I don't want to take anything away from the Saints but it always goes back to what what we heard, we've heard Sean Payton say over over and over over the years there's like 10 or 12 teams that are functional that have a chance to get in the playoffs and win the Super Bowl and then everyone else is just kind of swimming in circles and right now you have the Bucks who are swimming in circles trying to they can't get out of their own way and the Saints can't let that affect them and continue to play their game because of so much going on dysfunctionally in Tampa. And I think Bruce Aarons is doing the right thing, but there's just a lot going on internally for them right now.
1: Absolutely. So the Saints are now three games up in the NFC South. Uh, They will take on the Panthers, and if they win this game on Sunday, really have a commanding lead uh, with uh, only a handful of games left in the back end of the season. So we'll be curious to see how that goes. Uh, and look, Coming up next, we'll be talking about LSU Ole Miss, uh, Temple uh, beating Tulane. But first, before we get to that, look, talking about erectile dysfunction, it isn't easy. Usually, you might just brush it off and say, oh, I lost my mojo. I've had a long day of work and It's not a comfortable conversation. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe and easy and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate. Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. Again, it's simple, straightforward, easy. Get started by going to roman.com slash dh and complete an online visit. Just go to roman.com slash dh to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's roman.com slash dh for a free visit to get started. Get roman.com slash dh dh all right jeff so let's move on to lsu Ole miss offensive onslaught in the first half i could tell you i was uh with, with some colleagues uh, in tampa as we typically do you know you go out to eat and you, you know you
0: enjoy by the way did you do the did did. get together we did get together
1: with uh, our good buddy from cst mike neighbors it was a uh, another year of uh tradition of uh, media gatherers so that was good and that's where we watched the second half of the Ole Miss game where we were wondering uh what is going on I mean you leave (laughs) it's like you leave that game thinking all right LSU still got a great offense but my goodness how do you allow 400 yards of rushing I mean that to me is kind of mind-boggling and I know after the game our colleague Brody Miller uh touched on a lot of that Uh, in his post-game coverage and in his film study he has right now. And Jeff, uh, look, I could go on Twitter and just say of Pride all day and say Jamar Chase is awesome. But at some point, you might be wondering, uh, is this defense going to get you beat? I mean, Jeff, you were able to watch it probably a little more uh, closely than I did uh, being uh, on the road and uh, enjoying some adult beverages somewhere. But, Jeff, uh, just your thoughts on... What can we take away from this game?
0: Well, they got up 31-7 and then it looked like they just went into cruise control. That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, John Reese Plumlee runs for 200 yards. Ely got 141. You're right, 400-yard dressing. That's insane. I don't care who you're playing. That should never happen to an SEC defense. And I'm sure that Ed Ogeron on his Tell the Truth Monday is going to be showing that game film to LSU because it was just a lack of focus. I mean, they were losing their uh, alignment, assignment, uh, play after play, and guys were running wild through their through their uh, defense, and it was embarrassing. I thought uh, they they made that game a lot closer than it should have been. Uh, obviously, offensively, your your boy Chase. Uh, I'm starting to wonder if if he's not going to end up being the best receiver in LSU history over Odell Beckham Jr. because he's he's just spectacular, Larry. He's the best. A complete receiver, I've seen them have. Uh, he does it every game. He can run after the catch. He's athletic. He's got great body control. Uh, he blocks. I mean, he he's really he does it all. I think he's going to be a very high first round draft pick. And then Burrow with 489 yards, five touchdowns. The Heisman Trophy's his. There's no doubt about it. And um, Clyde Edwards Elair, as we found out, I've always been calling him. First, I called him Clyde Edwards. Hellair, like everybody else. <laughs> then I figured out the H was silent, and I went with Lair. Now I find out it's Elair. So let's get that straight from now on on the Duncan Holder podcast. Clyde Edwards, Elair, 172 yards. And I think he's bordering on All-American status the way he's played this year. I
1: can't disagree with you
0: just the way uh,
1: uh, he's been able to be so effective for LSU's offense. I don't know. They, I, I know uh, you've got Jonathan Taylor up in Wisconsin and uh chuba hubbard up at oklahoma state who is actually they're actually yep. in our straw poll for the heisman within our uh, staff here at the athletic they are the only two people to actually get two first place votes they each got one joe burrow got 50 i mean I, maybe those are just like hey let me be a contrarian i don't know but still uh look i think Clyde edwards <laughs> e like eclair without the c uh I think he's, he's nice. been one of the biggest surprises in college football just as much as Joe Burrow just because he's been able to play so well. But like, at least offensively, they were able to get the job done, and we're used to seeing these explosive performances even against teams that uh, look, you're supposed to do it against. Vandy, remember, their defense wasn't great against Vandy, and now they had injuries and such against them, and, and yet I think – people are going to be zeroing in because now we just expect the offense to be incredible. Now people are going to be really zeroing in on the defense. And I don't think they're uh, they're thinking that Arkansas is going to come in and do anything to them. But what if Texas A&M goes bonkers and wins in a shootout? Or what if this comes back to bite you against Georgia in the SEC championship game? I'm sure Dave Miranda and all, all those folks and Ed Ogeron – they're probably. I'm sure he's hoarse this morning from having them watch the tape. And they I think it is tell the truth Monday in a sense that if they don't get this fixed, someone is going to get them. Like I don't whether it's SEC championship game, college football playoff semifinal, because when you get to that point, you're going up against offenses. at at a quarterback maybe like Trevor Lawrence, or uh, you're going up against Justin Fields in Ohio State, and we've seen how explosive that offense is. So if you can't shore that thing up, it could potentially bite you in in the most inopportune point in time.
0: Here's the scenario I wanted to ask you about as we look ahead to what's left for LSU. Do you believe LSU could even afford, at this point, with Minnesota losing this weekend – and um, who was the other unbeaten? Somebody else lost this weekend. I'm trying to think. Baylor um, lose? I'm blanking. I don't I, I'm sorry? Did
1: Baylor lose? I'm not sure. Honestly,
0: Yes, okay. Baylor. That's it. I, I completely blanked out. Minnesota and Baylor both lose. I think it gives LSU the cushion now to lose a game. I, I'm not saying they should, but they can't lose two, obviously. You can't lose to A&M and then lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game. But I think they could get away with losing one game – because their resume is so strong, they would have the best argument of a one-loss team. The only one I think that's remotely comparable would be Oregon, who lost the opener to Auburn, dominated the game for the most part, led the whole way, and then lost at the very end. Um, Oregon, if they went out, they would have a pretty strong case as a one-loss team. But otherwise, I think LSU could afford to slip up and even lose the SEC Championship game, provided they beat A&M. And I think they still get in the Final Four.
1: If they get to the SEC Championship game undefeated, I think they could certainly absorb a loss. Uh, it would now, some giant blowout loss, maybe 50 to nothing. I mean, that wouldn't happen anyway. But right. still, uh, I think they could afford a loss and and get in. I, I think I think everyone in the country realizes that. Uh, but don't lose to Arkansas and don't lose to a and M. Uh, I I just kind of see that A&M game... Remember, just bad blood from last year. Uh, of course, multiple, what was it, seven overtimes last year? Six or seven? Uh, yes. They have Jimbo Fisher's next view is like punching Kevin Falk or whatever, Damian Craig. I forget. Remember, it, it was just all kinds of kind of. It was mayhem. Yes. it was, Mayhem is a great word to call it after that. Just the the way the game went and then afterwards would happen. Uh, look, A&M, just like say, I'm not saying like A&M is his playing as poorly as the Falcons were when they played the Saints. And sorry, Brody, I'm comparing Saints and LSU again. Uh, but, <laughs> but that will be a Super Bowl. Let's be really honest. They will be uh, coming up, you know, hellfire as much as they can to try to, to get that upset. Uh, a, because of the team that they'd be playing where they sit in the standings and B, just because of what happened last year in College
0: Station. Yeah, and I think LSU is going to have that game circled on their calendar, too. I think they're going to cruise through this game against Arkansas, who is complete disarray right now without a coach, and uh, they're going to be way overmatched. And then you get A&M, kind of you've had two weeks to, to kind of recover from the the Alabama win, and I think LSU will be very emotional in that game. And I would not want to be Texas A&M coming into Tiger Stadium after what went down in College Station a year ago. Damien Craig, that whole group, uh, I think it's going to be ugly. I I guarantee you, what was the line Ed Ogeron used? Roll Tide, FU. (laughs) I guarantee you he's going to have something like that for the Aggies pregame during that week. We we may not see it because I don't think there are going to be more cell phone videos coming out of LSU, but they are going to be loaded for bear against A&M.
1: And Jeff, look, you mentioned earlier about, say, like Jamar Chase and this and that, and he's going to be a prospect for the next draft. He's a true sophomore. Uh, I'm curious to see where the draft stock will end up. And this is, I'm just totally spitballing off the top of my head with Justin Jefferson, because he's not like this flashy guy, but he's very consistent. And I'm wondering, because this, they got a lot of good wide receivers coming out of this uh, draft class, I'm wondering how far up maybe Justin Jefferson can trickle up. And I'm not saying uh, he's Jarvis Landry compared to Odell Beckham like like we, we saw in, when those two played together. But I just feel like Jefferson is just a solid player who even before Jamar Chase got going – that Joe Burrow had such a good rapport and Chase is playing so well that Jefferson is almost kind of getting a little overshadowed, but I think Jefferson uh, could end up maybe, I don't want to say like a Jarvis Landry, but he's just very consistent. And I think some team's going to be happy to get him within maybe day two of the draft.
0: I think he's like a Lance Moore type, you know, he's always going to run the right route. He's athletic. I mean, uh, I agree with you and I can, I can, I tell you one of the more fascinating things, since we're spitballing, is is that 2017 recruiting class. And I know Brody is going to do a, a deep dive on that in a couple weeks, but uh, Jefferson was part of that class. It was it was Ed Ogeron's first full recruiting class. And listen to this group, Larry. It's it's really the core of this team. Jacoby Stevens, Calebon Chason, Austin Declis, Tyler Shelvin, Jake uh, uh, Jacob Phillips, uh, Jacoby Phillips, Grant Delpit, Todd Harris, uh, Miles Brennan, Ed Ingram, uh, Lowell Narcisse, of course, transferred, Sadiq Charles, Patrick Queen, Neil Farrell, Clyde Edwards, uh Justin Thomas, Racy McMath, and the last rated player in the whole class was Justin Jefferson, who was a three-star out of Destrehan. That's an incredible class, the amount of production they're getting from it. It's really the core of this championship team uh, that, that when when they got that group, I know it was well thought of, but I don't think they thought it was going to be quite as uh, productive as it's been in, in almost every, every way across positions and offense, defense. Uh, it's been a remarkable group. That is a who's who
1: of, of people you hear every Saturday uh, making tackles or catching passes or, or or doing whatever. Yeah, that is that is pretty remarkable. I didn't even realize that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that story uh, from Brody Miller. So, of course, LSU is going to take on Arkansas. We'll have a little more insight into that uh, as our next podcast comes out later on this week of course that podcast will be behind the athletics paywall but Jeff before we head out of here uh we got to touch on Tulane at Temple uh, I knew this game was going to be a challenge I think everyone in that building knew it was going to be a challenge and and Jeff uh they go down at Temple and it's it's an environment they're not used to playing in and yet uh, look a, t- that, a Temple team that beat Memphis and I just think that uh when you look at the way they performed, I thought they would be able to run the football. You know, it didn't go as well. And so uh, it's not like they're in trouble. I mean, what are they in trouble for? They're not going to win the American anymore. I mean, that's out the window. Uh, and they still are have a shot to beat UCF. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And SMU is going to be a challenge, but they could hang in that game if they play well. But, uh, Jeff, I just think overall they just didn't play well. I mean, uh, overall on either side of the football, right?
0: Well, Justin McMillan, eleven of twenty-seven for a hundred three yards, one interception. Uh, that that's not good enough. I mean, they they have to get more production out of him. He led him in rushing uh, with sixty-four uh, yards on but seventeen carries. But you want most of your carries going to Bradwell and Amari Jones and Corey Dauphine. Uh I just I didn't like the way he played in that game. I watched it. Uh, he he was inaccurate. Uh, Temple got after him. Now they 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 forced a lot. Of hurried throws, but McMillan has to play well in that type of game for them to win. They were only down 13 to 7 at halftime. They were in the game, and they just didn't get anything done in the third quarter. Really didn't put any game pressure on Temple. Temple was able to spurt out to I think it was a, about a 22 to 7 lead, and they just kind of hung on in the fourth quarter. It's a tough loss, but you know what's happened, Larry, with Temple uh, Tulane is. We, they've just regressed to the mean. I mean, I think this is about what we thought they would be this year, and they got off to such a great start, got that big emotional win against Houston. And there was such great potential for the season in some of these 50 50 games, the Navy game, uh, this game, Temple, uh, has not gone their way. but I don't I don't feel like it's a huge disappointment. Uh, I just feel like there's some potential that wasn't realized after they got off to such a great start.
1: Jeff, what did you, um, uh, what were your projections say uh, for Tulane this season? Uh, I know you didn't write necessarily a crystal ball column uh, on Tulane, but what were your initial projections for this team? Uh, I'd say mine were that they would be bowl eligible, but I, I was probably thinking seven wins and that could end up being the case, uh, maybe an eighth with, with a bowl game. But uh yeah, I, I I do think that, that maybe that's a good point. But what where, where were you kind of projecting this team uh, coming off of last year's bowl win?
0: Well, actually, I did. I did do a crystal ball, and I picked them seven and five, exactly what you said. And I said that they could be a much better team, but their record might not indicate it. And I think it's probably going to end up being accurate because the American Athletic Conference is just so competitive, uh, and they had a lot of these... Tougher games on the road this year: the Navy game, the the Temple game. Uh, they got to go to SMU uh, still. I think if they can come back, rally, beat Central Florida next week, and that's a tall task. They've got they're gonna have to play a lot better than they did Sunday. But if they could do that, get to seven wins, uh, and finish out the season, maybe play competitively at SMU. Who knows? They could certainly SMU's proven that they're beatable this year. Um, I still think there's a lot left for them to get get to a quality bowl game. But just getting back-to-back bowl eligible, uh, you know, getting to -to back-to-back bowl games is a huge step for the program. Uh, But I do think they don't want to finish the season uh, at six and six, having lost three straight games. I I just feel like that would be a little bit of a setback after the way the season started.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that would stymie momentum. And uh, I could tell you within the building, they feel the same way. So uh, curious to see how they respond to that so all right that's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder podcast uh, of course listen to all of our great podcasts uh, throughout all sports here on the Athletics Podcast Network but uh, of course uh, we will always like to give a little shout out to one of our pods so uh, how about Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you is going to make you a smarter football fan period twice a week former offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz wades through a sea of misinformation, hot takes, and theories. Basically anything social media has to offer outside of what Jeff and I write because everything we do is cool. To dissect and correct as only an eight-year NFL veteran can. And on the latest episode, you have Colin Kaepernick's NFL workout, Joe Burrow's pro future, and Saquon Barkley's load management. So, of course, you want to listen in on what Jeff has to say, particularly for us about joe burrow so want to thank our producer danielle for uh putting up with us as always and uh for jeff duncan i'm larry holder thanks once again for joining us here on the duncan holder podcast